Um, uh, so, looking at identity tonight is the theme that we're looking at, um, and particularly an aspect of identity, ethnicity. That's the theme we've already touched on. Now, it's a funny theme to touch on, as, as we observed from that little vox pop, a lot of us um, go, oh, I don't really think about it that much. And even we have a guest to come and speak on our panel, and she says, you know, day to day, I don't think about it that much. Although she went on to share some quite thoughtful things. You know, once you think a little, you go, oh, hold on, that does affect my... You know, your particular family background is unusual, your sense of different cultures and their view of community or individuality and hierarchy or equality. You know, th there were some interesting thoughts there. But, but many of us here come from similar-ish backgrounds, the a white Australian talking to white Australians who largely don't think about ethnicity. <laughs> but maybe that's a good thing. Because shouldn't we take some time to stop and think about something um, that is a big part of... Uh, who you are is shaped by where you grew up and how you were raised and where your parents grew up and how they were raised. It shapes a lot of who you are. And the fact that we don't stop and think about it perhaps is the privilege of being in a relatively uniform um, cultural context um, and, and particularly with um, you know, being a white Westerner, uh, a, a, a kind of dominant culture. So you don't have to think about it because you're just normal, aren't you? <laughs> and everyone else is weird. And, and so it's good for us to stop then as those who don't think about it, as those who maybe don't have to think about it, to stop and go, well, no, hang on. I'm not just normal. I'm a particular, peculiar, unique product of my culture and its history um, in the world, you know? And... Uh, I mean, Sabin pointed out an interesting observation about the way the world works, didn't he? When he said, Australian goes to India and comes home, maybe they pick up a little bit of um, Eastern spirituality, but you don't say, oh, you've, you've lost your white Australianness now, you're all Indian these days. But the flip side does happen. You know, an Indian goes back to uh, Mumbai and it's like, oh, you've stopped being Indian, you've, you've become a Western. Now that says something again about how our um, kind of Western background does have a particular place in, in the world and the way we're seen in the world. So let's think about that today. Think about who we are as the families, the cultures, the languages, the backgrounds we come from. But then think, what does the Bible have to say about that? How does the Bible speak to this question of um, who we are as people from families and places and nations and languages? It actually has a lot to say. And we're going to be thinking about that tonight the communities and the contexts we come from is a part of who we are and the Bible speaks to that. We're going to think about that across four headings tonight. Um, the first of those is that a really foundational point in the Bible that we are created equally in the image of God. Secondly, uh, we're going to talk about how the Bible celebrates the diversity that is seen in the image of God, the diversity of the human race. So created equally in the image of God, the celebrated diversity of the image of God. Thirdly, we are equally sinful as the fallen children of Adam and Eve. We're equally sinful as the fallen children of Adam and Eve, whatever culture we come from. And then lastly, Christ, the church, and identity. Those of you who've been involved already with a few of our events in this identity series... Um, or you could listen to these on our podcast or website, we'll notice that the first and third point we've touched on in, in more depth at our breakfast sessions sermons. In the breakfast, we're looking at 
theological ideas. We've looked at image of God and sinner. So we'll be picking up those themes just more briefly uh, this evening. First then, created equally in the image of God. Um, what does the Bible have to say about who you are and particularly thinking about where you're from and how you speak and the culture you're a part of, your ethnicity? Well, the Bible first of all says you're something more than just white Australian or it's complicated but Malaysian Chinese but kind of Japanese or <laughs> um, a particular kind of Indian or a particular kind of Dutch or Scottish Irish or Jewish or whatever it is your background, Australian Aboriginal. Um, that the Bible uh, says more than that or before that you are a human being. So the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, uh, as it speaks about God making the world, and helps us think about what it means to live in a, a good world that God's made, says this about humanity, as it describes the creation of humanity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made man, created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. See, ultimately, there ought not be any racism because fundamentally there are no races. There's one race, the human race, that we share together, this commonality. There was a huge theme, actually, um, uh, amongst the, the outcry from Christians in the early years of white Australian uh, presence, uh, where Christian preachers would speak out and say, no, 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 we're the same, we're of one blood. They'd, they'd quote... Uh, another verse in the Bible from, from Acts 17. We are one blood, whether uh, beautiful dark skin or white ivory skin, we are one blood, one people. And, and so the, those Christians who did properly speak out against violence against Aboriginal Australians um, uh, rightly draw attention to this verse and its commentary in Acts 17. Uh, largely the... the earlier scientific idea of different human races in the kind of an early scientific analysis of human, humanity is dubious, irrelevant. Uh, what is called racism really would be better to, to see as a kind of ethnic discrimination. It's based on a mix of physical characteristics, cultural, political and economic and religious groupings. You know, that when you group together enough physical characteristics, uh, language groupings, um, political economic groupings, you then have an ethnic group that you can be racist against. But the funny thing is that even if there are these differences in physical appearance, cultural expression, linguistic um, uh, articulation and so on, we are still all humans. We are all of one family, ultimately, equally in the image of God, of one blood equal in worth, equal in dignity. Easy to say. Easy for it to be expressed in a sort of sentimental, multicultural Coke ad sort of way. You know, we're all one, we're all humans as we drink Coke together <laughs> sort of thing. Um, but it can be easy in our everyday lives and then in our political lives and even in church life to, to undermine it in practice and so we need to think through well, what would it mean to really hold to this truth the bible says even christians christian leaders and churches haven't always been consistent with our own beliefs it's so easy to lose sight of this in practice so what might it mean 
Well, one way to think about it is it means we all have equal rights. Yeah? You could look at something like a, the modern attempt in the UN, the Universal Charter of Human Rights, and see a whole bunch of ways that people tried to say in, in, in modern society that no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, no matter what class or ethnicity or, or gender or age, you're equally um, entitled to the same share in humanity as everybody else. If we had time, we could think through a whole bunch of those together. It's a worthy read. And um, Christianity gives a lot of depth to its claims. If you read something like the UN Human Charter of Human Rights and say, yes, because we're made in the image of God after every one of the articles, then you, you get a sense of just how deep this truth is in feeding ethics and political ethics. If we're all equally made in the image of God, therefore we do have a right to our own religion, to our own work, to our own access to information, to our ability to participate in cultural life and so on and so forth. It's an attempt to unpack this reality in the modern world. For everybody, it was written to say, applies to all humans, even the old or the sick or the suffering or the poor or those fleeing their country for whatever reason, for the mentally ill, for the not-yet-born human being still in the womb. It applies to prisoners, criminals, or those with prior conviction. It applies to minority groups of various kinds, lifestyle minority groups, disability minority groups, divergent minority groups, uh, those whose beliefs and diets and religion might seem to us peculiar or ridiculous or disgusting to all human beings. Equally human, equally deserving of dignity, protection and respect. And that's true in your class, actually, your street, your workplace. It's true there too, not just on some lofty United Nations level, but in your classes, your street, your accommodation, your workplaces. Who are the people that you are invisible to you, that you ignore, that you're tempted to tease or feel a bit repulsed by? Who you interrupt and don't really listen to? Yeah? Who you don't involve in the little powers of decision-making but make decisions for them without checking? You know, that, that counts for you. Because it's so easy, you're just little old you. But then as you're in a study group or a work group or a context, it's very easy for you to notice the person who's unusual and just kind of write them out a little of being treated as a fellow human. Yeah? Same in church. We can do the same thing in church. And so we can have a church community and yet there are certain people we kind of put over there there's a Bible book, James, which says, imagine if you're in church and the rich person comes in, the person with the suit and the rings and the, the cufflinks, and they come in, oh, it's wonderful to have you, it's so good to meet you, strong handshake, come and sit up here, sit up here, can I get your cup of tea? And then the poor person comes in, maybe they might smell a little or just not behave the way we like, and we go, oh, you go and sit over there, thank you. And we've got an eye on you, actually. <laughs> and James challenges that kind of Christian favouritism that celebrates and welcomes one group and, and then despises and rejects another. Haven't you become judges with evil thoughts, James says? 
we all are equal, we have human rights. We're all equal, we have human duties as well, is another way you could think about it. We don't just have rights that we're entitled to, we also have duties that we're bound to. Human duties to God, all of us are obligated to God, to worship and obey him. All of us have duties to one another, to preserve each other's rights and care and love others. One of the famous wicked sayings from early in the Bible in Genesis 4 is when Cain says to God, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for someone else? Well, yes. To be equally human is also to be indebted in duty to God and in duty to one another. Romans 13 says, don't let any debt remain outstanding except the ongoing debt to love other people. We're all bound up in that. As equally human, we all then share a responsibility to love and to give and to serve. There's a lot of talk often about freedom. I want to be free, liberation and freedom. But of course, freedom isn't just freedom from tyranny, oppression or suffering. The goal of freedom is ultimately freedom to do what is right and what is good. Yes, in your own unique way, not being predetermined by someone else, but still, it's not just, I'm free to do whatever I like. I'm free to eat ice cream in the morning and play computer games all day or, or just work, 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 work and grow my status and grow my wealth and grow my comfort or whatever. No, no, no. I'm, I'm free to then use what God has given me to, in my way, know how to love others and care for others and contribute to the community. Yeah, when it's duty, we're most free when we find our calling also to contribute. So created in the image of God, that's, that's the first point, yeah? All together, whatever background we're from. Secondly, part of that really is celebrated diversity as the image of God. The Bible actually celebrates our diversity. Let's have a look at Acts 17, if you've got a Bible on your phone or a paper Bible with you. And this is that passage I alluded to earlier that the uh, Christians of early um, uh, white Australian settlement would often quote against violence against the Aboriginal people. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As one of your own poets has said, we're his offspring. From one person, God made all the other nations and decided where they would be in various places and boundaries and spots where they would find him and serve him and know him in the various places of the world. This is picking up on the stories in Genesis that describe in chapter 4 and chapter 10 people spreading out around the world and their cultures, some tool makers, some musicians, some uh, herds people, city builders, mix of cultures and their own dialects and languages. When God says he's going to give a blessing to the world through Abraham, it's a big kind of starting point for the main Bible's story, God says to Abraham, through you I'll bless all the nations of the world. All those different nations and their different places, different economies, their different languages, their different backgrounds. When we look right to the end of the Bible, we see again that around the throne of the Lamb, as the book of Revelation puts it, are people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. 
Yeah? For Jesus' mission to his disciples, he said to them, I have now all authority, I am the saviour of the world, so go to all the nations of the world, making disciples. This is um, seen in a kind of a symbolic miracle in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, um, and the day of Pentecost. Um, you can come to Acts chapter 2 if you like. Um, it's interesting, you know, Pentecost, Pentecostalism, if you're familiar with the idea of Pentecostal churches, their practice is to have a kind of a spiritual speaking in, in unusual languages, spiritual languages, speaking in tongues, uh, that they get from this story in Pentecost. What's interesting is that a little difference in the actual event here and the practice of the Pentecostal churches. For here, we find actually, well, let's have a look at the story. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. There were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because one, each one heard them speaking in his own language, in his own tongue. The speaking in tongues here are the languages of the world. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretes and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The talking in tongues here in the first Pentecost was speaking in comprehensible languages um, that people could then understand from all the different parts of the world coming from I mean these were Jews religiously and ethnically Jews but also they'd become Jews of Egypt Jews of Arabia Jews of various places of the world they'd become the Jews of the diaspora a different kind of ethnic Jew than the Jews of Jerusalem and this miracle is, is, is a symbolic miracle I've said because it's a it's an active promise that now God's intention is for his message to go to Arabia, to Egypt, uh, and deep down into Africa, to, to Asia and the, the far great continents of China and, 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 and Japan, and, and down here to the great southern continent. God's purpose is to reach all this diversity that he created and purposed, that he celebrate, celebrates in its salvation. In, as I said in the book of Revelation 5, 9, and 7-9, for example. So then, what makes you, you? Well, yeah, your culture, your language, your nation, your family, your history, your physical appearance, even if you don't even think about it much, yeah? Because, because you just take it for granted. That's a huge part of who you are, the way you look, the language you speak, and, and that's the language you think in too, isn't it? The language you dream in. Um, where you've come from and where your people have come from and what they've brought with them and what they've done badly along the way. So you can identify more with some people than others. You know, you hear this sometimes when people talk about movies, don't they? They go, oh, yeah, I tried to watch that, but I just couldn't identify with it. Whereas someone else will watch a movie and go, oh, I love that because I could so identify with it. And some of the reasons why that happens... There's a whole range of reasons, but some of them are cultural and ethnic, aren't they? That's a kind of story and a kind of experience that sometimes people say, I haven't seen before in a film, you know, or, or if you don't think about it, that's possibly because a lot of films are marketed at you already. And so you go, yeah, 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 that's just normal. <laughs> um, so it seems. 
But that's, that's part of who we all are. And God made us that way. He determined the times and places we would live. And so our family, our history, our family's history and the tribes and the national histories and the languages that we're part of, that's part of who I am. And so if I become a Christian then, yes, being a Christian is, is central to how I see myself, but I'm still an, a white Australian Christian or a Chinese Malaysian Christian or a Jewish Christian or an Indian Christian, and so on and so forth. And a convict Irish Australian descendant Christian, an indigenous Australian Christian. That's a good thing. That's part of how God has... He's made a world with all its physical uniqueness. He's made us in the world. And that, that just comes with the... Sometimes, I think, in, in modern, enlightened Western culture, we celebrate a kind of multiculturalism that's fairly flat. So, inner city dwellers, uh, university-educated inner city dwellers, celebrate the diversity of the city. Oh, I can go to that restaurant and get food from that country, and then I can go to that cafe and get food from another country. My workmates are from different countries. And I go to a church with people from different countries. Um, and that's certainly a good thing about cities. Um, however, another thing that cities do is they can make a kind of flat multiculturalism that you end up with, yes, people from every different culture, but they all, because of the university education and the city living, start to be all a bit like one another. And so we might come from different countries, but we're all sort of like Londoners, who are a lot like Sydney-siders, who are a lot like New Yorkers. We're sharing then this sort of in-betweeny culture. And so while it's right to celebrate that kind of diversity, it's important to also realise the value of smaller uh, ethnic communities as well. Because, say for example, this church, Wellspring Anglican Church, we use their building. They have a 10am service, which has people from a range of cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities. Um, they have a prayer book service, which potentially is more of a migrant church for those from English descent. Prayer book service, that's a kind of ethnic migrant church, the Church of England. Um, but then they have a Chinese church congregation, which is very explicitly a Chinese ethnic community. And each of those has value. So ones that are more diverse celebrate something. But there is something special about hearing the gospel preached in the language you dream in and you grew up in, what some people call their heart language. There is a value to both diversity in churches and cultures, but also not ghettos, but but ethnic um, identity being preserved as well. There's a place for both these things, yeah? The advantage of, for example, a ministry like Focus amongst East Asian international students um, or a Chinese church is that actually leadership dynamics are different. You will actually grow up a greater amount of empowered international student leaders in a Focus ministry parallel to a uni fellowship ministry. So actually, a bit of um, diversity and difference, both is good, because it enables you to find new ways of expressing the Christian gospel and raising up leaders in, in more ethnically uh, limited contexts as well. Yeah? For some of us, actually, this is a process for ourselves to go, you know what, I am... I've heard this say, like, it's no secret that Tasmania has a fair bit few Dutch migrants... 
And, and I've heard sometimes Dutch migrants, people from Dutch backgrounds, get to a point where they went, you know, when I went through school, I kind of hid my Dutchness and tried to just be Australian, whatever that means. And then at some point in my life, I went, you know what, darn it, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. You know, and, and I, I am, I am Dutch, and I'm proud of that. And, and I'm proud of that particular heritage, you know, or, or someone who comes from a background where they changed their name to make it easier for Australians to say, because they were sick of correcting their teachers through school. And then perhaps they hit university and go, you know what, my name is... I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> um, and I'm going to learn that name, and I'm going to insist on that name, because that's part of who I am. And that's a, that's a part of, actually, something a Christian can do. God made all the nations of the world. God calls people from all the nations of the world. Yeah? And so, I mean, an international student might come here and adopt uh, an, uh, an English-sounding name. I mean, I knew one international student who chose the name Ice Cream when they came here. <laughs> so, it just sounds so lovely. Uh, so you might adopt an English-sounding name, and then there's a place that's fine, well and good. But you might also go, no, I'm also going to remember the name that my mum and dad gave me or my grandparents gave me. You see, there's a place for both of these things. Yeah. And, and this is important, especially if you don't think about ethnicity, you're just normal. You don't think about it. You don't have to think about it because everyone else around you is just like you. You're just normal. However, someone else in your study group, in your workplace in your friendship circle, they might be reminded of their ethnic background all the time. They're conscious all the time about how they maybe look different, sound different, talk different. They get asked, where are you from? Whereas you never get asked it because you're just normal. You're just from here. Um, that means it may be a great way for you to get to know another person, to show interest in these things. And it might be a great way for you to help them to get to know you for you to be able to actually explain a little bit more of your background, be self-aware and go, here's what actually is unique about my particular background. It's a lovely thing about church life that we can build that stuff too and a great way to build connection with classmates and workmates beyond just how you're doing good, how you're doing good, how study's going good or bad, as the case may be, and then grumble about the weather. Suddenly, as you get to know someone, this could be an area. You know, what's your background? What religious background do you come from? An Australian evangelist, Sam Chan, says that's a great one. Uh, people may not want to talk about their own religious beliefs, but they may be happy to talk about their parents' or grandparents' religious background, and that's the beginning of a conversation about religion where they say, my grandma was hyper-Catholic. She was really... She was more Catholic than the Pope. And off you go. You're now talking about religion and spirituality by showing an interest in others, do you see? So that there's these things you can think through. Yeah. However, we need to say, uh, before we move on, uh, that we can, uh, we are allowed to, and we always do, go beyond our ethnic identities as well. We can, and we always do, go beyond our ethnic identities. People do that when they get married. You leave your father and mother, and you start a new mini-family with your husband or your wife. And so there's a leaving of a cultural background in a small way, especially when it's a mixed ethnic marriage, hey? Yeah? You do that when you migrate. Called by God, Abram migrated and left his family, his people and his father's household and went to a new place. You do it in conversion. You become a Christian. If you became a Muslim, 
when you deconvert from Christianity, you're changing something about your identity and your ethnic identity. It's both an exciting but sometimes traumatic experience. Yeah? And that's good and right. That's one of the universal human rights. If we believe in the image of God, we believe that you don't have to stay Muslim if you were born Muslim. You don't have to stay Catholic if you were born Catholic. You don't have to stay Dutch Reformed if you were born Dutch Reformed. You can, as a human being in the image of God, respond to your conscience, to God's call on your life, yeah? And convert a, a radical threatening to ethnic conformity, but a profound expression of humanity made in the image of God, yeah? I mean, cultures do it all the time anyway. Whole cultures adopt new religious beliefs. They steal technology and food and language from oppressors and from those they oppress and from those they're alongside. There's borrowing and adopting and retooling that happens all the time in culture. It's one weirdness of some versions of modern kind of ethnicity talk that people want to somehow preserve each ethnicity as a complete sealed bubble. White people have nothing to say to black people, and Asians have nothing to say to Indian. Uh, you know, South Asians have nothing to say to East Asians, and, and so we're all separate. And you must not say anything about me, and I must not. No, cultures aren't like that. They never have been. They always interpenetrate, and learn, and critique, and evolve, and develop, and revolt, and so on and so forth. So we're made equally in the image of God. God celebrates the diversity. Uh, of how he's made us and fanned us out and then calls us back. Thirdly, I, I won't touch on this one for the sake of time, but you can listen to the, um, the sermon on, uh, on sin that we did at our breakfast session. Uh, we are all equally, all cultures, um, uh, equally sons and daughters of the fallen Adam and Eve. And so every culture, not just cultures privileged with whiteness, <laughs> uh, but every culture has expressions of sin built into it. It actually doesn't show respect for people to somehow claim that oppressed peoples are not capable of, of evil and sin. Uh, no, every culture has both much that's good and much that's evil. It'll express itself differently. And that's also true with racism. Racism is not an invention of whiteness and only expressed by those who are white. It's one of the great tragedies of all human cultures. They find a way to be uh, ethnically discriminatory. They find ways to enslave. You find enslaving in Asian cultures, in Muslim cultures, in um, African cultures, as well as white cultures. Humans find these ways to... It's, it's so much a part, we so quickly default to this, yeah? And if you want to explore a little bit about that, we could perhaps do that in the question time. But I want to finish by looking at this Ephesians 2 passage, that as we speak about Christ, the church and identity, because here we get the themes, really, of tonight's sermon pulled together nicely as we come to a close. So let's have a look at that in just a closing uh, couple of minutes, and then we'll, uh, we'll pause before some questions. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Down in verse 11 here, it's a really powerful text on this whole theme. It begins by talking about the way in which human cultures are alienated from God. Therefore, remember, verse 11, 2 verse 11, formerly you were Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcised by those who are the circumcision. I'll skip the parenthetical statement. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants and the promise, without hope and without God in the world. The nations of the world outside of God and his promises 
that he gave to Israel in the Old Testament are cut off from God. That's the natural human state. And in fact, even the people of Israel, as the Bible says, for example, even in 2 verse 3, where it includes Jews and Gentiles in sin, even Israel, who had the citizenship and the promises, were alienated from God in their unbelief. All human beings in different cultures cut off from one another and cut off from God. Yeah. But... Now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law, its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus unites humans with one another particularly this great symbolic barrier between the Jews and all other nations. But by extension, anything that separates humanity can be overcome as we meet God together in Jesus. Jesus brings to fulfillment God's purpose for the whole of humanity so that together in Jesus they may find peace with God and so become, in our diversity, a new universal kind of ethnicity that lives in all that diversity one new humanity united in our creation in the image of god equal in our guilt before god equal in peace with god through jesus christ and so christianity speaks about a hope for humans to meet each other and see each other and know each other and hear each other and welcome each other in jesus and together have a shared hope with their creator who made us in what we have in common and in the things that make us different. To have a shared calling. And it's spoken beautifully in the rest of that passage as it describes us as, as God's household and it describes us as God's temple. Have a look at that. Uh, verse 18, For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone in him, the whole building is joined and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In Jesus, humanity become reconciled with God, become God's household, God's citizens, God's temple together. And so that becomes a centerpiece of our identity through which we then see our ethnicity and relate to the people of the world. Yeah? And even are able to invite in to this new humanity people from any tongue, tribe, nation, people group. That's stuff to dwell on for you in your own heart and life. But it's also, remember, at the centre of this is where I stand with God, my creator. And that's the most profound thing. Where do I stand with God? Do I know him? Do I have peace with him? Does that relationship and his view of the human race lie at the centre of my heart and mind? I'll pause and pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time to think of deep things. Uh, we pray that you do write these deep realities in our hearts and minds. But we pray also that you do help us express those realities with our words, with our actions, in our everyday lives, we ask to thank you for making us, thank you for saving us, and we pray for one another 
for these things to be a real living truth for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mikey, um, for sharing that. We do now have um, the opportunity to ask Mikey some questions. So if you've thought of any throughout the night or if something particularly piqued your interest, then, then raise your hand or you can text it through um, to this number. Um, but to kick us off, Mikey, I've got a question for you. Oh, great. <laughs> so um, we've talked a lot about our, our identity and ethnicity um, for ourselves from a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. What would be like your hot tips for then understanding somebody else's ethnicity and respecting that and hearing that from yeah. a Christian worldview? Yeah. Um, I hope I've given you really good reasons to be really curious in, in other people in their difference and really hopeful that you can because of what you have in common. I guess there's two things, right? There's both difference and um, commonality hold together in Christianity. And so you have confidence you can understand someone else and interest to find out what's different, you know? And I think those two things together, if you're not interested because you just assume, ah, oh, well, we're all the same, boring, or, you know, you're all the same, not as good as me, then, then there's no interest. And so you just carry on just in your own little bubble. Um, uh, but if there's no sense of commonality, then you almost, well, sometimes you can even be scared. Some of you might go, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I, don't, you know, don't understand their accent? Um, you know, like Min says, the Australian accent um, uh, can sound like another language. You know, what, what, that kind of thing. And so those two things together, I think, is a great combination. But certainly just getting good at listening is, is a really fundamental thing in any relationships at all. And it's surprisingly hard <laughs> to do. Some of you, God is blessed with a real gift of being able to listen. Uh, some of you, God is blessed with other gifts. <laughs> and that's something you'll be spending a lot of time learning how to do. Um, and, and definitely people can often say, especially if they're aware of difference, um, is that they can often feel, they really notice how badly others listen to them. And whether it's because of ethnicity or, or some kind of other difference, um, they just go, gosh, it's so nice when I finally find someone who really slows down to really listen well. Listening is definitely not a strong point of mine. I had to <laughs> develop that. But um, does anyone else have any, any questions for Mikey at all while we're here? None? It's all good. I'm sure you can chase him up later tonight or throughout the week at one of our other events if you do think of, think of anything. But if there's no more, then that's it. Thank Thanks, you, Mikey. All righty, folks. Well, that's everything that we have um, tonight. So thank you so much for coming um, but before, before we finish up, we do have some 